At this time, KCICFM invites you to join us for our weekly live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church. All right, let's take our Bibles. I guess I'm not... Well, it says I am. Aha! There we go. All right, we are in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 27. 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. 27. Second Chronicles 27.1, Jotham was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah did. Howbeit, he entered not into the temple of the Lord, and the, and the people did yet corruptly. He built the high gate of the house of the Lord on the wall of Ophel, and he, he built much. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah. In the forest, he built castles and towers. He fought also with the king of the Amorites and prevailed against them. And the children of Ammon gave him the same year, 120 talents of silver, 10,000 measures of wheat, 10,000 of barley. So much did the children of Ammon pay unto him, both the second year and the third. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways, lo, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And he was five and twenty years old when he began to reign. And he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And Jotham slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Ahaz, his son, reigned in his stead." Father, thank you for your word. Use it in our hearts tonight as we study life's pathways and decisions that we make. And so, Father, bless as we look at the life of Jotham and we consider the lives of others in the Old Testament and New Testament. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the book is about encouraging the people of God after the captivity. Um, back in First Chronicles, the genealogies, that was all to encourage the people that they are God's people. Uh, all of these kings, it's to encourage the people. We've had Saul, uh, David, and uh, you remember God made that covenant, the, the Davidic covenant, that he would have uh, one to sit on his throne that would have an eternal kingdom. You had Solomon and all his glory. He was king number three. All three of those fellows, Saul, David, Solomon, each reigned 40 years. That was of God. Uh, Rehoboam, he was Solomon's son. Under his reign, the kingdom was split because he did some foolish things. And um, then there's Abijah, and Abijah was the one that fought against Jeroboam and was willing to trust God in the battle, even though he had only 400,000 against Jeroboam's 800,000. There was Asa, who um, was next. He was number six. And uh, you remember about Asa. Asa was the one where Zerah the Ethiopian came up with a million-man army, and he trusted the Lord, and the Lord delivered him. And then he later finagled a situation and was rebuked by the Lord. And uh, he grew hard against God, and he was diseased in his feet, and he would not seek God. He was so stubborn and hard. And then there was Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the one, I just love the story about Jehoshaphat, where he just, when those armies were coming against him from a, on the other side of the Dead Sea, and he, he just trusted God completely, 
And the battle was the Lord's. He, didn't do, he and the people of Judah didn't have to do anything but go out and collect the spoils because uh, God engineered that battle where those people uh, fought against themselves and there wasn't any left living and Jehoshaphat came. Jehoshaphat was also the one that made, would, made affinity with Ahab and um, had Ahab's daughter marry his son, and that was not a good thing. Then there was Jehoram who was married to Ahab's daughter, and that lady was named Athaliah, and she was a mess. And then there was Ahaziah, and uh, he only reigned for one year. Um, and he was killed by Jehu when he was up visiting his relatives up in the north. There was Joash. He's the youngest king, started ruling at seven years old, king number 10. And uh, he did well under Jehoiada, but when Jehoiada died, uh, he turned and went bad and ended up killing Jehoiada's grandson, uh, Zechariah. There was Amaziah. Recently we looked at him. He was the one that got out on a limb and didn't talk to God and hired the hundred hired the 100,000 soldiers from the north and then fired them, and uh, that was not a happy deal. And then there's Uzziah, the one who was, uh, made the catapults and uh, who was helped marvelously until he was strong. And then he got full of himself, and he thought he could go in and do the priest job too. And uh, God struck him with leprosy. And that brings us now to chapter 27, uh, verse, uh, and we have Jotham, and he is number 13. Jotham reigns from 750 to 735 B.C. This is 250 years after David dies. He reigns for only 16 years. And um, the interesting thing about Jotham, what helps me with Jotham is, an is just something that happened uh, years ago when I took the young people to uh, Washington, D.C. on a college trip. We were, years ago, we took a college trip, went down to South Carolina, then up through Washington, D.C., and then up north to the visit the colleges in the north, and we did it all by driving. And uh, when we were at, in Washington, D.C., seeing the Capitol and the, and the Holocaust Museum and the Smithsonian, when we were in the Smithsonian Museum, there's, of course, if you've been there, it's a number of different buildings, and there's the Museum of, of Natural History. And um, I went in there, and the kids were looking around, some, you know, the Hope Diamonds in there and all of these different things, and there's dinosaur bones and all of that business. And I was just kind of wandering around, and I, I think it was on the first floor <clears throat> or second floor. I don't remember what, but I remember as I was moving towards the left through the museum, I came to a wall, and in the wall was a little glass a window about this big, and in there was an old rusty signet ring. Really, it wasn't so much a ring as it was a signet stamp, but it's about the size of a ring. And I look at the inscription underneath it, and it said, Jotham's ring. I thought, really? And sure enough, it's one of his signet rings that was found in Israel, and I think down by Elat, down in the south, it's where they found it, and it would have been used by one of his officials to make imprints, make seals. As a matter of fact, they have been able to make seals with the ring even today. And so uh, that was kind of interesting. I've never forgotten it, that they had one of Jotham's signet rings there in the Smithsonian Institute. You can go on the Smithsonian website, and uh, you can look that up, and you can, you can see a picture of the signet ring. And so that's what I think of when I think of Jotham. And now we come to this passage of Scripture, and I want to focus in on verse 
6 and 7, verses 6 and 7. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways, literally his paths, before the Lord his God. And the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways, his paths, lo, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Let's talk about the path of life and a right path that a person can take. And we're going to end up in verse 6 as is really the last point of this message. There are five. And let's talk about, just do a little, do a little research here on what it is to, to have a good life path, a right path in life. And as we do this, let's go back to verses 1 and 2. And I want you to see a couple things about this man. He was 20 and 5 years old. He begins to reign. Verse 2, he did that which was, can you help me here? He did right in the sight of the Lord. And I want to talk to you, first of all, about a perfect path. And this man, his name means Jehovah is perfect. And so let's talk about that. He, when you talk about being perfect in the Old Testament, and really even in the New, it has this idea of being complete whole, nothing's lacking, a person's innocent, a person is pure. We know of a verse of Scripture in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, where it's talking about loving your enemies, praying for those who despitefully use you. And then it goes on to say in Matthew chapter 5, and verse 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. And it's talking about this loving enemies and praying for those who misuse you and, and that kind of innocence, if you will. We're to be perfect. We're going to be complete and whole like the Lord is. This man did what was right. It's a path. This kind of path, the perfect path, is a path that, that knows what inspection is. In other words, there is a passage in the book of Genesis that I'd like you to just consider with me. In Genesis chapter 17, the Bible says in verse 1, When Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be thou, there it is, perfect. Be perfect. Um. Abraham was going to now walk before God. And God was going to be looking at his ways. By the way, uh, chapter 17, I know this is really profound, but chapter 17 follows chapter 16. I, thought, I, knew, that, I knew that would be, impress you. Um, chapter 16 is where Abraham and Sarai are having a hard time. God's promised them seed like the stars in the heaven. In chapter 15, chapter 16, they cook up a way to make this happen. And Sarai says to Abram, uh, go, go and you marry my servant maid, um, Hagar, and you have children by her. And so they do, and all of the, you know, Ishmael's born, and all of the trouble that comes from that and so in chapter 17, God shows up again, and he says to Abram, you walk before me and be perfect. I'm almighty God. And in chapter 18, God appears again and tells Abram that Sarah's going to have a son. And Sarah laughs, right? 
And God rebukes, and he says in the passage in Genesis chapter, oh, let's see what I have, chapter 18, verse 14. God says to them, is anything too hard for the Lord? This is going to happen. He's El Shaddai. He's almighty God. He can do anything. So part of walking before God and, and, and being perfect is willingness to trust him and his power to be able to accomplish what he says he's going to do. Um, it's a path that um, is before God. Remember Asa? Um, he trusted God with Zerah the Ethiopian, and then when Ben-Hadad came against him, he, um, well, when, when the king above him came against him, he, he cooked a deal up with Ben-Hadad, who was to the north, and he got in a league with him rather than trusting God. And God rebuked him in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, and he says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. To have a perfect heart, to, to be under the inspection of God, and to trust him. Um, there are other verses I'd like you just to consider with me. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21 is not one that I've shared with you recently, but um, like some of the others that I have. You know, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro to show himself strong. Um, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21 says, The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. He pondereth all his goings. And you know what? We ought to recognize that everything is no, naked and open before the eyes of him with whom he have to do. A perfect path recognizes that God is always watching. Mr. Cowdery has, I, I saw your little sign up on the hallway. He always has all these little signs. And, and, you know, I might go through halfway through the year and then discover another one that I haven't read before. But there's one about the Lord, you know, to always act as, as if the, you're, the Lord is watching you. He, he is looking, and he is to have a perfect path. It's a path of inspection. It's a path of innocence. It's a perfect path. It's the kind of path that back in Noah's day, in his generation, he was perfect before the Lord. He, he, he walked in a, in a complete way. And the Bible says in Genesis 6, 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Um, it said about a Job in Job 1 1. He was a, he was a perfect man. He, he just was innocent. He was whole. He did what was right. He walked before God. He turned away from evil. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, um, it talks about all of the witchcraft and the abominations that were in the land of Canaan when it was warning the, the people of Israel when you go into conquer, there's going to be all of these wicked occult things have nothing to do. To do with those abominable things. And then it says in Deuteronomy 18, 13, Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. Be loyal to him. Don't allow any of this other in. Be perfect. This morning, Brother Madison was reading from Psalm 18. I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 22, where that same psalm is found. And I want to read something to you. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 21. Look at the words carefully. This describes uh, this kind of walk before the Lord, to just, to just do the right thing. 2 Samuel 22, 21. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness 
According to the cleanness of my hands, he hath recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, verse 22, and I have not wickedly departed from my God. I've, I've walked in his path. I've not departed from it. 2 Samuel 22, 23, for all, all his judgments were before me. And as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. This is a perfect walk. I was also upright before him and have kept myself from mine iniquity. In other words, I really tried to live before God and obey his word. Therefore, hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. And then those, those precious verses, with the merciful or with the kind, you'll show yourself kind. Let's be complete before him. Let's be kind. With the upright man, thou wilt show thyself right, upright. God will, will treat the right, the man who does what's right and correct, he will treat him that way. <clears throat> with the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And, uh, and with the, but with the forward, not forward, but the forward, the twisted, the perverted man, God will show himself twisted to that individual. So there's some real motivation here to just do what's right. What does this mean? What does a perfect walk mean when you get to the New Testament? I thought about that, and one of the passages that came to mind was Ephesians chapter 4. And it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, he gives a list of just the hard, wicked things that people do. In Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 8, 19. And then in verse 20, he says, but you've not so learned Christ. And then he talks about uh, putting off the old man and putting on the new man, putting on Christ-likeness, put Christ-likeness on, and put away lying, put away anger, put away stealing, labor, give, put away the corrupt communication, um, put, put good words, encouraging, edifying words in your mouth. Uh, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of the bitterness and the anger and the wrath and the evil speaking and all the malice. Be kind, tenderhearted, put Christ on. Get rid of the, 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 the filthy, sexual, sensual stuff. Get rid of all of that. Be pure. Let's be perfect. Like Paul could say, I, I, I tried to live a life to, to have a conscience void of offense toward God and man. A perfect path. I don't... I don't know how people think anymore. Um, I, I guess I've lost touch to a certain degree, but for a believer, should we ever lose that? That we would always have a, a heart that wants to do what's right before the Lord. A perfect path. How about a prudent path? Take a look at this. Go back to our text. Take a look in 2 Chronicles chapter 27, verse 2 again. Let's go a little deeper into the verse. 2 Chronicles 27, 2. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Uzziah did. How be it? He entered not into the temple of the Lord. Wow. So how about a prudent path? Uh, one that is wise. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a, 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 lamp, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, this man... It doesn't specifically say it. it. Well, it sort of does. It, he did according to all that his father Uzziah did. There was a conformity to his father's faithfulness. His father was faithful, faithful verse, chapter 26, verse 5, as long as he sought the Lord. He was faithful in that he sought the Lord. He conformed to that. 
Um, a just man, Proverbs 20, verse 7, a just man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. And I've, and I've preached that before here. I've preached about Abraham, you know, that, that God knew him, that he would command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment, that the Lord would bring on him that which he's spoken of him. You know, Jotham could remember back. Here he is, 13 in a line of kings. He could probably remember back to the trust that Jehoshaphat had. What a lesson. Or to, to the heart of David, who, who had, who's, um, God said of him, he, he's, after, he, he's after God's own heart. Or some of the others who did what was right, even his own father and how he sought the Lord early on in his kingdom and how God blessed him. But you know, the prudent path not only considers the faithful things that a father does. And, 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 uh, and may our young people take notes on the things that we do right, right? And, uh, and, and that they forget the, the things that we did wrong, the stupid things. Maybe they just see the good things and remember those. But, and Jotham did. And Jotham also was in contrast to his father's failures. And you see that here. He entered not into the temple of the Lord. And his father, when he, as it says in chapter 26, verse 15, he was helped marvelously, last part of verse 15 of chapter 26, till he was strong. He, 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 his pride did him in. And um, to look at our fathers and our mothers and to remember their, their, their failures and to think, you know what? I don't want to go down that path. I, 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 had, I, was, I had a front row seat to see what this or that bad trait in my parents was like and what it did, and I, you know, and I don't want to do that. And to, that we evaluate, that we have a prudent path where we're, we're wise to do right and we're wise to avoid evil. And you know what? There were a lot of defeats. David had a defeat with the matter of Uriah and Bathsheba. Solomon had a defeat with all of his wives and the, and the idolatry that came. Rehoboam had a defeat in the day that he, he didn't listen to the older men, and he went with the younger men, and he, and he was harsh with people and split the kingdom. Um, Asa, his pride, Jehoshaphat in his affinity with Ahab, and right on down the line to his own father who was, who was proud and, and overstepped and went into the temple and offered incense. All of those lessons that are to learn. And you know, some of those lessons, wow, they were powerful lessons. Like with his father. You think about, about Uzziah. What transpired when he went into the temple probably only took maybe 10 minutes but it had, it affected the rest of his life. That, that one deed was life-changing. And there are some things that we can, if I can put it this way, we can do stupid things in our life and get away with it if, if you, in, in the sense of the life repercussions. But there are some things that just are at such a critical point they are life-changing, like Rehoboam and, and not listening to the older men and going with the younger men, or Uzziah, or um, Joash when he had um, 
uh, Zachariah stoned. And uh, that moment of weakness, moral unfaithfulness, rebellion, or pride, or dishonesty, and we just need to always be seeking the Lord and asking Him, to, like it says in the Lord, when the Lord was praying, in the Lord's prayer, to, to keep us from temptation, deliver us from evil. So a prudent path. Number three, a purposed path. So we go now to the end of verse two, and the people did, back in Second Chronicles 27, two, and the people did yet corruptly. The corruption, if you go like it talks about at the end of this chapter to go to the kings, if you go to kings and you look in chapter 15, you're going to find out what the people were doing that was so corrupt that God mentioned. So I want to, I want to go there, and I want to just talk about it because it's an interesting study. I'm not going to get real in-depth about it. There's a lot of references that we could go to. But in 2 Kings chapter 15 and verse 35... It's talking about Jotham. Talks about how he did what his father had done, except for the going into the temple. And then verse 35, 2 Kings 15, 35. How be it? The high places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burned incense still in the high places. And that's what it says. And it corresponds with our text here where it says that the people, as it says in, in uh, verse 2, the people did yet corruptly. So this is a good man. He did what was right, but the people did corruptly. And we know now from kings that what the problem was was the high places. I'm not going to go there, but in Deuteronomy chapter 12, it, God tells in chapter 12, Deuteronomy, God tells the people that there's going to be a place, and that's where they're to do the worshiping, the sacrifices, and all of that, whatever that place would be. We find out later that it's going to be, um, for, first it'll be Shiloh, and then it, later it's going to be Jerusalem. That would be the place. And that they were not to offer sacrifices just wherever. It would tend towards idolatry. They were to tear down those places of idolatry on the high, high places all, all over the land of Canaan. They were to tear those down. But different kings, Solomon, to start with, was very bad. You go to 2 Kings, you look at the end of the commentary on kings about uh, the, the idolatry and why God judged them after when, when Israel is finally judged and taken away. And you see in 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 13... The high places, 2 Kings 23, 13, the high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right hand of the Mount of Corruption. There's a Mount of Corruption in Jerusalem, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had builded for Ashtaroth, the abomination of the Zidonians, and for Keshmash, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the children of Ammon, did the king defile these, these high places that were right there in Jerusalem, these places of idolatry, Solomon built them. And they were perpetuated by different kings. Matter of fact, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat tried to tear some of them down, but the people brought them back. 
because they didn't prepare their hearts for the Lord. Some of the kings, like Jehoram and Ahaz, that we haven't got to yet, some of these kings actually went and built high places to the idols. But there are a couple fellows that did something beyond just themselves not worshiping at the high places that, and, and themselves reminding that they, there was, a, there was a, at least one king that was able to influence the people so profoundly that the people went and tore down the high places. And that individual is Hezekiah. The Bible says about Hezekiah in chapter 18 of 2 Kings, um, I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between these books. 2 Kings 18.4, he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves. And he, went, he, even, he even broke in pieces the brass serpent that Moses had made. This is Hezekiah. He's going to come yet down. He, he's going to be a descendant from Jotham. And Hezekiah was just an amazing man. I'll tell you how he did it. If you look with me in the book of 2 Chronicles... In chapters 29 and 30 and 31, Hezekiah is going to come in the future. And he's actually going to do something that will get the people to go tear down the high places. And here's what he does. First of all, when he steps into the throne, he cleans house. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 29, 3, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he starts to repair the house of God. And he gets the Levites and the, to, to sanctify themselves, and they begin to clean house. And then, once house is clean, once the house of the Lord is clean, he, he begins to worship the Lord, and he dedicates the temple to the Lord and its worship. And once the temple's dedicated in chapter 30, he sends to all Israel, not just Judah, he sends to all of Israel, and he calls them to a Passover. And you know how they responded. Some of them came, and some of them did, like it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 10. They laughed them at them, and they laughed them to scorn, and they mocked them. So some came, some mocked. But they came and observed the Passover. So Hezekiah, when he steps into the throne, he immediately opens the doors of the temple that had been defiled by Ahaz, and he cleans up, cleans house, gets the worship going again, celebrates the Passover, and in chapter 31, verse 1, after people from all over Israel, not just Judah, but from all over Israel, when they came down and celebrated the Passover, they were so excited about serving the Lord again. But the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 31.1, when all this was finished, all Israel that were present went out of the cities of Judah and break the images in pieces and cut down the groves and threw down the high places and the altars of all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and also of Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned every man to his own possession and to their own cities. These people got so fired up, they just went out of, the, out of Jerusalem and began to clean up the land and tear down all of these places of idolatry. And the people did it. And I just wonder, when we talk about a purpose path, if, if our own life cannot be such with such dedication to God that people would not be encouraged and look at our lives and they be encouraged 
to go tear down the idols of worldliness and wickedness and begin to live for God again. There's another person that needs honorable mention, and his name's Josiah. And when Josiah found the book of the law in the temple, and he read it, and he brought it before the people and read it to them, and they made a covenant to serve God. Josiah went on a, on a crusade all through Judah, all up into Israel, destroying again all of these idols that had been in, in high places. So to have, as you see in back in 2 Chronicles chapter 27 and verse 2, Jotham did what was right, but the people acted corruptly. And had he had a more purpose path like Hezekiah, like Josiah, he may have been able to have an influence. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23 and verse 22, and it's a verse that, that encourages my heart from time to time as a preacher. It says in Jeremiah 23, 22 about the prophets, the false prophets. It says, if they had stood in my counsel and cause my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Had the preachers just preached the word, it would have made a difference. And if you and I will just preach and live the word, it can make a difference to have a purpose path. Number four, to have a productive path. You go back to our text not much to be said about this other than verse 3 of chapter 27, he built the high gate of the house of the Lord. He, he put an emphasis again on God's house and built the gate of the house. And I think, you know, to, to have a productive house, a, a productive path, and to invest ourselves, to, if we will, reinvest ourselves in God's work in his house. I think of two passages I think number one of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We ought to be, we ought to be more earnestly zealous for meeting as we get closer to the end. Wow, things are getting dismal in what used to be called fundamentalism fundamentalism as it used to be 20 years ago, I don't know that it even exists anymore. It is just, it is pathetic out there. Churches are shutting down their services so that they're just having one service a week. It's dismal. If we would just rededicate ourselves again to the, to the work of God and so much more as we see the day approaching, it can make a difference. It's a productive path. The, the, the work of God is not in vain in the Lord. And the other passage that I think is that one in Ephesians, it's just so precious, and I shared it with you. Just I just touched on it this morning. It says in Ephesians 4.16, talking about the body, the church body, it says, from the whom the whole body fitly joined together, closely joined together, and compacted or knit by that which every joint supplies. It's talking about the union of the church, of the body, a local church, by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effective working and the measure of every part, makes increase of the body to the edifying of itself in love. So important, so important 
to have a productive path, one that invests in the work of God, to, reinfor- to have a, reinf- a reinforcing, as you see in the next verse, or in the end of verse 3, he, he, on the wall of Ophel, he built much. The Ophel was the, was the area between where the temple was, and then to the south of that is this long, skinny hill that was called the City of David. It was a fortress city, and the Ophel, my understanding is that, that there was the, the section between the two, and they kept building that up to try to strengthen that area, and he was, he was reinforcing where to staying strong, we're to be strong in the power of his might. We're to, we're to, we're to put on the, the girt, loins girt about with truth and a breastplate of righteousness and be prepared with the gospel and, and take the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and the helmet of salvation and be equipped with prayer that we would reinforce and be strong. And then he reclaims some things. You see here in chapter 20, um, 7 verse 5, he fought with the kings of the Amorites. Back in chapter 26, um, Uzziah in verse 8 had brought the Ammonites into subjection and they were paying taxes. They were giving gifts to him. Somewhere between the end of Uzziah's reign and the beginning of Jotham's reign, that, that was lost. And now Jotham goes and reclaims it, and he's able to hold it for three years. He's able to reclaim some things. And we, again, an application, we are, we are always trying to be reclaiming ground, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. We're always, there's always another generation. There's always a need for truth to go out. We always have work to do. We haven't fin- the job isn't finished yet. And so he was working there. And then the last one is the prepared path. Chapter 27, verses 6 and 9. Jehotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord. To, to, to make your ways, to arrange them before God, to, to be firm and be stable. It begins, first of all, with singleness. 1 Samuel 7, 3. Samuel appeals to the people to get rid of their idols and prepare their ways before the Lord. Be single to Him. Let's be loyal to the Lord. Let's put aside what the New Testament talks about for us when it comes to singleness. Besides material things, it talks about the world. And if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. And so we're we're to be single, to love Him and not have a love affair with the world. To seek Him. To seek the Lord and, and, and to go after Him. Um, there's a verse of Scripture in Ezra, which is just over a few pages from where you are. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. This word is used there in Ezra 7, 10. Talking about Ezra's testimony. Ezra had prepared, there's our word. Just like Jotham prepared his ways before the Lord, Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it. And to teach in Israel statutes and judgment. I love this verse of Scripture. Matter of fact, first time I really got acquainted with this verse of Scripture was in pulpit speech in college. And Dr. Hankins said, all right, boys, you got to preach a message. And he says, I want you to find a verse that you can, you can break all your main points out of the verse. And uh, I found this one in Ezra, man. I thought I found a gold mine, and I did. 
And so I preached my message out of Ezra 7.10 in college as a sophomore. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach it. And uh, that was my outline. And you know what? When I preached that, I, even as I was preaching it, it was like the Lord was working that in my heart to make it part of me. It was like part of a call to the ministry. And it was during those days that, that I was praying about, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, do you want me to just be a teacher in a Christian school, Bible education major? You want me to, what do you want me to do? And it was at that, around that same season, and when I was studying this passage of Scripture, that the Lord was working in my heart about ministry. Um, prepare your heart to, to seek God's Word, to do it, and to teach it. Psalm 57 talks about preparing our hearts to sing to God. Psalm 112, verse 7, talks about preparing our hearts to trust the Lord. And Psalm 119, in verse 5, talks about preparing our hearts to keep the Word, that we might be like Jotham. We might become mighty because we prepare our ways before our Lord. We might seek a perfect path, a prudent path, as we look at, at our fathers and, and evaluate strengths and weaknesses and choose the strengths, as we have a purposed path, as we have a productive path, and then as we have a prepared path. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, help us walk before you with a perfect heart. God, that you might direct our steps and uh, we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly live broadcast from Pear Park Baptist Church. We pray the service was a blessing to all our listeners. Our earnest prayer is that you personally have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10:13 tells us, For whosoever shall call, upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to trust Christ, you must first believe that you're a sinner, deserving of God's judgment, and that Christ died to pay God's penalty for your sin, and that he rose again from the dead. Then you may, right now, pray, and according to Romans 10.13, call upon God and ask for salvation through Jesus Christ. If you've made a decision to trust Christ, let us know. The number of the offices at Pear Park Baptist Church is 434-4113. Someone's generally available to take calls during regular weekday business hours. In addition, the best means to spiritual help and growth is through faithful attendance at a Bible-believing church. We would encourage you to be at the very next service of Pear Park Baptist Church. Our weekly prayer meeting and Bible study is at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Sunday schools at 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday mornings with the worship service at 11 and at 6.30 p.m. the evening service. Pear Park Baptist Church is a fundamental Bible-preaching and Bible-believing church located here in Grand Junction at 3102 E Road. And once again, we appreciate your joining us for this live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church.